welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Rama Chalapa. He's a pioneering researcher and inventor in the fields of artificial intelligence, computer vision, and machine learning. He's a Bloomberg Distinguished Professor in Electrical, Computer, and Biomedical Engineering. And he's also a member of the John Hopkins Center of, for Imaging Science, the Center for Language and Speech Processing, and the Malone Center for Engineering and Healthcare. He's also a fellow association. He's a fellow of the Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence, the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, and the National Academy of Inventors. Dr. Chalapa holds eight patents. He's the recipient of IEE's 2020 Jack S. Kilby Signal Processing Award and the 2012 KS Fu Prize from the International Association of Pattern Recognition. And his work has been featured by the Associated Press, the BBC, and the New Yorker. And his new book, available now, is called Can We Trust AI? Welcome, Rama. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on your show. Absolutely. So before we start, I want to really quickly give a shout out to someone special. So our friend Suleiman Jenkins, who works at Johns Hopkins, who is the director of academic programs in the Institute of Nanobiotechnology there. Uh, he was actually super excited when he heard that we had you on. So, I mean, you guys are obviously kind of fellow colleagues over there. So we wanted to give him a shout out. He was uh, the author of Life is Raw, the autobiography of Napoleon. So really cool stuff. And it's obviously it's interesting how it's kind of such a small world. Mm -hmm. uh, so before we begin, I also want to start off with a quote from um from the book that we're about to discuss. And then obviously we're going to get into the conversation about it. So uh, quote unquote, the computer scientists who worked on AI in the 1960s and seventies dreamed of having their programs beat a human chess champion finally happened in 1996, automatically translate Russian documents or solve complex mathematical puzzles and theorems at Purdue. I began working on pattern recognition and image processing, which led to a career path combining artificial intelligence with sensors, cameras, micro and microphones that would ultimately allow a computer to see, which is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Today, pattern recognition enables computers to search through enormous sets of data to connect the dots on otherwise impossible to perceive patterns that could be useful in real world applications, perhaps identifying in identifying images of people and objects or understanding voice instructions. These tasks are now commonplace. Just think of Apple Siri or Amazon's Alexa personal assistance, Google's Translate app, or even the ubiquitous automated speed ca cameras that capture the license plate number from a fast moving car. During my years as an undergraduate student, these applications existed only as science fiction. So, so amazing. I mean, when I think about artificial intelligence, I think uh, maybe because I'm a little bit backwards here, I just tend to think about robots. And, that's, <laughs> you know, I think about like the robot in Rocky 3, which is like sort of talking to Rocky and just, you know, kind of like a friend. And I'm like, oh, wow, holy shit. If this is as advanced as modern technology is going to get, it's pretty incredible. So that's kind of like where my mind is in terms of AI. I just literally think of literally the robot in Rocky three, but it's obviously a little, a little or bit the of Terminator or the Terminator. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I was just uh, waiting for it to come. <laughs> yeah, right. But so, and it's obviously a little bit more complex than that. And sort of yeah. the way that we now see modern technology, obviously outside of the caricatures is essentially through algorithms and the way, you know, social media companies, like let's say a Facebook compiled data. So can we begin a little bit about that? And especially when we talk about how it influences our lives and what we think about when we, uh, well, let's say we think about AI on a daily basis and how it affects us. Yeah. I think uh, AI and, and, and robots have been there uh, since the mid seventies. In fact, Stanford had a couple of 
uh, robots built. One of them was called Shaky because it's a, kind of, it's a big one. It was kind of shaking as it moved and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the Hollywood has, uh, you know, created all sorts of things with, uh, you know, robots. iRobot is a great example. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand even earlier than that, uh, there have been these kinds of movies. Even in the silent movie era, there have been, uh, you know, because it's kind of fascinating, right? Um, mm-hmm. Something that's bigger than us. Uh, can happen and so forth and something more intelligent than you know than us uh, can happen and what would that be and would it be good would it be uh, devastating to our you know civilization the way of life and so forth uh, about robots i actually did a show with mr gary vita it's called hopkins at home mm-hmm. um, he you know he's uh, he co-wrote the script for uh, rogue one the star wars story mm-hmm. actually yesterday it was uh, on my tv i've seen it a few times but i never get tired of it i, I saw it again <laughs> and uh, so the t- title of our conversation was imagination ai imagination and reality i said gary you represent imagination i represent reality because imagination is needed mm. right jules verne imagined a lot of things and it's amazing how much he imagined and that probably motivated people maybe we can build something like that right so um, so that's how uh, you know robot naturally comes to mind when you talk about ai um, but there are so many other applications and i'm often asked is ai already here with us I said there are various forms of AI the recommender systems once i see a movie in netflix oh it says you also may like to see all these right. other movies mm-hmm. or once i buy a book in amazon for example if you order my book in uh, amazon it will give uh, suggestions about competing books i hope they just say again buy more of rama's book i would like <laughs> I need Absolutely. to change that software a little bit. So it is there Alexa as you mentioned and uh, Siri conversations and now um, big companies have built super super big uh, language models right so AI is very much there. So AI is kind of there uh, in many applications in in uh, uh, for us for example we just finished a project where given a picture we can geolocate it very well. so basically wow. we feed the uh, machine various places and kind of say you know this is where the latitude and longitude are etc etc when we give a fresh image it kind of comes pretty close not always oh. but with the reasonable accuracy right so it is able to do that so ai is also able to predict a few things by mining data so i think wherever there is data now you can assume there there will be some ai that mm-hmm. is the big change in the early years we were big on domain knowledge mm-hmm. you know we we will for example chess there is a domain knowledge what are the valid moves and so on but ai is able to beat human because it can look ahead you know there is an explosion of possible things right next you can do this many moves and then on that you can build etc etc and computer can see way ahead and humans we can probably see i don't know best of uh, you know people can see six or eight moves and so on so mm-hmm. it is clear in those kinds of situations ai uh, will be good but more and more we are looking into ai in medicine and as i said that's why i came to hopkins and there is lot to be done here so ai is kind of everywhere uh, so wherever there is data you can say ai is there right now because we have moved to data driven ai to a large extent we started up as a domain driven ai now we are a data driven ai interesting uh, i'm i'm curious actually i mean i, I have uh, read the book but definitely like to bring this up um how has ai uh, helped um 
health in, in the sense that, um, for example, maybe in relation uh, to maybe diagnosing patients or helping doctors to uh, maybe deal uh, with uh, the COVID pandemic? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, there is a great example in my book. I discussed mm -hmm. the work of one of my colleagues, Professor Suchi Saria, mm -hmm. and uh, she has used AI and machine learning to uh, understand sepsis, you know, and, and detect it. Apparently, that is sometimes hard even for doctors. And then you know, this is being experimented with at some hospitals and so on. So uh, what will happen with AI and medicine is this. We, we have electronic health records, right? I mean, you take a lab, take a blood test, a whole bunch of numbers come. Mm -hmm. The diagnostic images sometimes, MRI, CT, X-ray, and even natural language conversations between the physician and the patient. All of this can be kept in one place because it all corresponds to one person, which will lead to personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. Instead of you being a part of a group, now you are you as far mm -hmm. as AI and medicine is concerned. So because every one of us is built slightly differently, right? So, uh, you know, so it can continuously process that data and look for any issues. And, and, and be a guide, just like physician assistant is there, who's also trained, you know, there will be an AI assistant uh, oh. that the doctor can go to uh, and, and figure out is something they have missed. Because uh, my, my, uh, my doctor you know, still has two big, I've been seeing him since 1992, he has two big uh, folders, all mm -hmm. my reports and everything. AI can kind of look at all of them in a continuous way, in an incremental way, and kind of update the, the, the you know, status of where I am and so forth. So yeah. we have a, a five-year project at Hopkins. I'm working with the world-renowned geriatric physicians, Dr. Jeremy Walston and Dr. Peter Aberdeen. The goal of this effort is to encourage research, promote research, conduct research, supervise research that will explore the role of AI and technology for healthy aging. You know, as we, in, in fact, uh, this is what I like to say. Finally, I'm doing some research that may actually help me down the line. I'm 69 mm -hmm. years old. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Wow. So, uh, what I'm saying is that uh, we are trying to look at uh, detecting uh, Alzheimer's, uh, detecting dementia, and providing alerts if the person, you know, has a tendency to fall, fall prevention. You can use wearable sensors and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, these are things that that can that that will happen. Mentioned, you mentioned robots to begin with. There's a company that we are interacting with, where, you know, builds robots that will visit nursing homes that have late stage dementia patients. Mm -hmm. And during COVID time, they, they'll take an iPad and it will bring, you know, people, family and, and things like that. Just for that time, that patient's life is somewhat better, right? Late stage dementia, they can't speak and they're kind of sitting there, you know. So mm -hmm. we, like, we hope to see more and more uh, robot uh, interactions in the in the in that space, uh, we can have uh, a robot, you know, be a, 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 a friend uh, to a to an elderly person, remind medications, remind the exercise protocols, and even Apple Fitbit, Apple I mean, watch says, hey, you guys, you you are sitting on the couch for too long. Maybe you should mm -hmm. get up and mm -hmm. walk, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so those are all good things because if you get that kind of a nudge, you will do that. Right. Otherwise, you know, that, that's where AI is going. It's going to be there in the background and it'll be kind of trying to help us. It'll, it'll, it'll make things better for us. That's the optimistic view uh, that I have about AI. 
uh, what what would be the pessim pessimistic view, uh, at least in in regards to health? Does it have anything to do with um, how well encrypted uh, protected health information is, and in regards to HIPAA laws and right? And what about and what about even misdiagnosis? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, this is where uh, definitely. Let me get, take the first question first. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think health sector can help the non non healthy AI about privacy and things like that. You know, you mentioned HIPAA and so on. At Hopkins, you know, I am my computers are in the engineering uh, place and the actual medical data is in the medical place. So it's not easy for me to get. I have to be embedded in that space. As a professor, you know, biomedical engineering and school of medicine, we keep computers there, everything. So medical field has figured out how to protect your data. Mm -hmm. Unless you authorize uh, Leon, Alex, others cannot see your medical data in theory, mm -hmm. right? I mean, somebody can hack into something and, and get access to it, but in theory, so they have that. I think AI, AI non-health AI folks can, can learn from that. Misdiagnosis. Yes, uh, mm -hmm. we worry about it, right? Mm -hmm. So it is no longer, I, I'm, you know, I think AI versus human is Hollywood stuff. Mm -hmm. For me, AI and human is the real stuff. Okay, I like to joke. I hope uh, you know this doesn't offend anyone. I also like Mr. Rogers, and I used mm -hmm. to watch Mr. Robert Rogers' Neighborhood uh, mm -hmm. with my children. If you make a movie all about that, it's not going to make a lot of money. Whereas if you make a movie robot going and destroying things, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, so Hollywood, you know, man versus AI and Terminator and all that right. stuff. Right. But in reality, it's going to be always AI plus human. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's how I see it. And that is a place where we need more interaction. Let me give an example. And mm -hmm. again, as a professor, I have a tendency to talk without break. Please tell me, Rama, enough, you got enough. Know. We, we move to the we move to the next question or something yeah, yeah. like that. Go for Let's it. Let's assume you know there's there, we have Tesla. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is a, is it fully automated yet? And I don't have a Tesla, but I know it has all the other features, right? There's the features mm -hmm. for providing. Alerts when when uh, when you have cars on the adjacent lanes, even entry level cars have that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So fully automation, you know, is is uh, is a goal, uh, but not everybody is going to be in a fully automated Tesla. I still like to drive my car. I mean, it has all these features, but I just still pump uh, gas. Maybe I'll move to electric, but I'm not into fully automated version. So if I am on the uh, freeway. And then if the fully automated car is also on the freeway, not just me and the other car, whole bunch of them. So mm -hmm. what you are going to talk about is that whole bunch of AI cars and some amount of non-AI cars have to be on the freeway driving at 65 miles an hour and crisscrossing lanes and things like that. Mm -hmm. That means it's a huge problem, human-AI mm -hmm. interaction, right? As humans, you can view them as non-fully automated car people, and AI is a fully automated car people. Sure. So you have to network. AI has to know where everybody else is, and it has to be networked, and it's a very fast pacing move. So there again, I wouldn't go human versus uh, AI. I would say how the humans and the AI working together. So that is where. So misdiagnosis can be decreased if the humans and the doctors work together. So I consider this a triplet, patient, AI, and the physician. Right. Before we trusted the physician completely, right? We come because he, he or she is very well trained, educated, and we have to go with that. Despite yeah. that, sometimes errors happen. 
Okay. And by the way, and to interrupt you here, yeah. uh, I would even add what's so interesting is about doctors' misdiagnoses. Often people think that the accuracy rate is something like in the 90s, something like 95, 99. They think they go to a physician, that person is an expert. It's yeah. actually much worse than that, man. Like doctors' misdiagnoses are actually incredibly, incredibly high. I was actually once misdiagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which was yeah. insane. So I had no symptoms of it, like literally none. The doctor looks at the blood test and she mis misread the results. And she looked at the blood test. She's like, oh, my God, you have type 1 diabetes. No follow-up questions, no anything. And of course, I'm horrified by this. I'm like, yes. oh my God, I have type 1 yeah. diabetes. And I would yeah. think something like an AI system could have probably corrected her in that moment. Yes, it's possible. And that's what we want to, because humans make errors. It is, you know, I have to be careful when I discuss doctors. My two children are doctors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, they work very hard and, and they try to do their best and, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, you know, human error uh, is, 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 is possible. What do we say? To error is human, right? Mm -hmm. uh, AI can make mistakes too. If AI yeah. has been fed, you know, somewhat poisoned data, incorrect data and so forth, it may fail. The more interesting thing with AI is if I use the data from one hospital or one pathology lab and train it, mm -hmm. when it goes to the other, process the data from another pathology lab, the performance goes down. Because different labs train their you know samples differently, the sample the pictures look a little different. This is mm -hmm. a big challenge for AI. It's called domain shift. Mm -hmm. In fact, Professor Saria, who I mentioned before, has an article in one of the leading uh, journals how she has witnessed this when her algorithm, you know, or or, or how she has, not her algorithm, but an existing algorithm when you take uh, for sepsis detection when you take it to different hospitals, the performance is different, right? Oh, very. So, ooh, yeah. I, I, can I ask a question? So. So we had on, uh, so he was a doctor of neuro, of, I'm sorry, of oncology. So we had on Michael, Mikhail Sekaris on. And so he told us that essentially, as we were talking about oncology and different types of cancer diagnoses, uh, that essentially doctors sometimes, they, it's not that they're wrong per se, but they disagree on particular tumor growths. So whereas one doctor can see a tumor and would say, you know, over, let's say a year period, it looks pretty stable. Another doctor could say, no, it's grown X amount. So can AI help with that? Yes. Yeah, okay. I can. Yeah, I will hopefully... Um, you know, assuming it's properly trained, right. that is that is right, because we are still doing mostly data and maybe in the medicine, I think more domain needs to be introduced in the AI algorithm and eventually it will happen. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it will give its opinion, definitely, which will make the doctors take a pass and kind of, you know, check with the check their data and, and things like that, uh, definitely. Um, you know, my uh, dad, when he was uh, in the low 50s, uh, his prostate cancer was misdiagnosed. Wow. They thought it was TB, it was this, they were giving the wrong medicine, and he passed away in a few years. And it's unfortunate, it happens, uh, but AI would provide the additional, um, you know, uh, intelligence needed to, because AI can look at the data, it remembers the data over a long time, it can do multidimensional data analysis. You know, humans are good at two or three dimensions. So I think that is why I, whenever people come to me, will will AI is going to take us over and and rule us, I say, no, no, AI will work with us. We will work with AI. We'll make things better. That's how we have to look at. I, I totally agree with that. I, I think it's actually important that we integrate with AI. I mean, uh, the processing power, right? The amount of data that, the amount of variables that AI yeah. can process. Yes. The, and also, who knows? I mean, this may sound like uh, futurism, but if maybe one day we have, let's say, generally intelligent AI, what what are the possibilities there? Conscious as as, AI. You never know. Imagine uh, an AI with uh, with creativity, right? What sort of? We already have that. You know, AIs can write novels. It's really wild. 
Okay, but yeah, yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can give you some interest because please, this comes up please. all the time. Specific mm. AI, general AI. You know, we now even have a software <clears throat> that can prepare a, a paper that looks like a very technical paper in my field in computer vision. A few years ago, somebody did that as a prank. Mm-hmm. Now, again, somebody did that and it mm-hmm. even was accepted for the conference. The reviewers wow. missed it because it looked, you know, you know, people cannot, we have a lot of papers to review. Our conferences are getting 10,000 papers. Mm-hmm. So the authors were, oh, look what we have done. Yeah, it's writing a paper, but there is no real paper I mean, that is based on science. I mean, what happens is this is more like a misinformation paper. Some right. of us believe that AI can generate, you know, some things in that space. But as long as the current AI is just based on the data that has been collected, mm-hmm. all it can do is give things within that space. You know, people ask me, can AI do something so weird that we should be afraid of? I said, if it is purely data-driven AI, anything it says will be still somewhat constrained within what it has been given. It cannot, because if you think something is weird, that weird cannot be function of what is existing now, because then we won't call it weird. What do we call it a weird? What do we call it as a something? Oh my God, we never imagined that. That we never imagined that cannot be a function of what we have already known. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that right. and and what all AI does when it does the data is just know what it has seen all the data. It summarizes into certain number of parameters, so it can predict and so forth. It'll st- it's like. It's not a great analogy, but I like to tell my students, an apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Everybody understands that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mm-hmm. have an apple tree, it kind of falls in the neighborhood. So a deep learning machine can only predict things that are kind of within that neighborhood of where it has seen. As an another example, if you have a Google uh, access now, go to thispersondoesnotexist.com. Maybe mm-hmm. you have seen it. If you have a laptop, beautiful face. It's really beautiful. You you will think that, my God, is there is a person like that, such natural, uh, you know, face. So we all, even I thought, oh, my God, it's actually producing something, you know, so, uh, you know, nothing like a training data set. But somebody did a gr- analysis and said, no, 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 it's a beautiful face, all right. Maybe there is no person like that, but it's not totally different from the existing data set from where it has been trained, there is a little bit of this person, a little bit of that person, a little bit of that person. In our mind, we cannot put together. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, you can associate, you can kind of uh, disassemble the new phase and say, hey, it's the epsilon of that phase, the delta of this phase, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm saying is, although the new phase, there may not be a person like that, but that still is in the same neighborhood as the faces that it has been trained on. That's why I tell people, don't worry about AI going crazy, at least as it is being done now, okay? So that is what, but let's worry about how to make AI better. It has challenges, like I told you, the domain shift, you know, or somebody can hack into it because it's still a software. You know, people hack your cell phones, people hack our computers. So somebody can hack our AI systems and make the Tesla go left, want it to go right, it's possible, but, So those are things we should be concerned about. With AI is not at a place where it's going to you know, do something really uh, weird. Yeah. yeah. Actually, sorry, in regards to the domain shifts, uh, mm-hmm. how, how far away do you think we are from perhaps being able to, I don't know, develop AI to the point where it can integrate these different domains and come up with some sort of um, 
uh, something appro approaching an accurate, maybe emergent. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, people have been, we have known this problem from the 50s, 60s, when we do yeah. pattern recognition, because pattern recognition was also using data. And then we had to make sure if it looks at data that it has not seen before, it does not fall apart. For example, mm -hmm. Alexa, right? They train it. They send it to your home. They've not heard you speak before and so forth, but still yeah. it has to work. But slowly they can also fine tune to your voice and your you know, style of speaking and so forth. So we do have, we are still working on it. Domain adaptation, you know, uh, about 12, 15 years been an active area and it is seen as an important area. And we are providing uh, methods for, uh, for managing the shift. So for example, if you give me data from two pathology labs, uh, this, uh, then I can kind of say, you know, these guys' data is slightly different. I need to tell the network how to manage that difference and then still learn well. So it works on, on both data sets. So this is mm -hmm. what we call as uh, reducing the domain shift. But mm -hmm. suppose if I want my AI to work in Mars, Mm. I have not been there yet. I have not, there are data available from the Mars rover, but that's a totally different domain. It's called domain generalization. Mm. So then what we do is we will learn as much as possible, you know, about planet, what happens in planet Earth, what happens in moon and so forth. So make it ready when it sees a totally new thing, it won't fall apart. So these are still emerging theme, uh, uh, themes. And, uh, you know, if, if the generalization is very good, all it says is that a Tesla that runs well in Phoenix will also do well in New York, in Mumbai, and Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, right? I mean, it has to do well for it to sell at other places. So it's a, it's a concern, and uh, people are working a lot on that. Every conference has papers on them and so forth, yes. And then, yeah, so touching on a little bit about the dark side of all of this. Uh, so interestingly, what happens with me, and I know this is going to seem a little bit of a shift. Um, so as a psychotherapist, which, you know, for our listeners, which is what I do for a living, I often get people who don't really want to interact with me because I think I know more about them than they would want me to know. So the thinking is that as long as they meet me and they give me a few data points, they think that, like, oh, I'm going to be able to sort of peek into their minds. So this happens a lot on dates where, or before I even go on dates where women will say something, well, I don't want to tell you that because I feel like you're going to analyze me, even though, I mean, yes, I am, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about that is that I'm just a human. I have very little data. So I don't have a million sort of pieces or data points to go off of. But then when you have something like AI, which, so, you know, I'm already frightening in this kind of respect, uh, but then you have something like AI. And I think we're all sort of terrified about something like Facebook knowing us like too well, even in some ways better than we know ourselves. And there have been these stories where essentially you go on social media, whether Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and you get some sort of recommendation and you think to yourself like wait i didn't how did they know that i would want something like that and you kind of look at it and you're like wait actually i kind of do like this that's an yeah. interesting recommendation so that's kind of scary that in some ways that again yeah. i'm just a person and then people don't want me to know them better than they kind of know themselves and can you imagine and i'm sure you obviously can but you know for kind of people out there can you imagine what it's like having an actual system knowing you better than you know yourself and even a system even in some ways very spooky being able to predict your behavior or being able to predict what you like based on very limited data so can oh, we yeah. talk a little bit about that yeah 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 i mean it's it's it's, it's a very very good question um i i mentioned um you know gary Vita, who i did this score you know talk with and he says rama i was just casually discussing buying mattresses in my house next time i log into my machine i'm getting all this advertisements yeah. from various matters i've had something out. like that too yeah <laughs> right. i've had something like so, that too yeah i think what is happening now we have to be savvy. 
give a simple example. When I go to my supermarket, I give my phone number. It's called bonus savings. Mm-hmm. Why do I give my phone number? I get a dollar of strawberries or I buy two strawberries, get one blueberry box free, or I get a few dollars of shaving cartridges. Here, I exactly know what I'm giving, what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. But in many other cases, we don't know. We know what we give, but we don't know how it can be you know, propagated everywhere, right? A few years ago, every time I went to the parking lot at 5 p.m., it will say, oh, time to home is 42 minutes. I said, hey, machine, why do you think? Because that's what I do. <laughs> I don't go to you know bars. I don't go to pizza places. I leave home and I, and I leave work. I go home. So it's a very predictable thing, right? So mm-hmm. AI will do these sorts of things. But we have to be careful what we want to share. Uh, that's the important thing. If you are a doctor, if, uh, if, you know, therapist, like you say, I have to trust you and I have to tell you everything because then you may be able to help me. Right. You know, if I don't tell you something, you know, then you are connecting dots uh, by based on your experience and so forth. And that's not the perfect thing. So trustworthy. That's why we have the title trust. You know, so I have to trust you that you are helping me. So I have to be upfront with you. Right. Then only you can uh, give me good advice to make me better, to to mend me in some ways. Yep. So with these uh, big social platforms, it's all in fine print. You know, even when you do Google, you know, Gmail, uh, when you do Facebook and so forth, uh, or, or Twitter, or TikTok and so forth. I mean, you have to assume anything that you give them is probably there everywhere. You have to assume, despite, you know, the best uh, that uh, companies can do. Apple now did something recently, mm-hmm. right? They said they won't let uh, some social platforms track, you know, what you do with Apple iPhone. Apple will actually ask you iPhone, do you want the tracker thing or not, you say no, then, you know, Facebook won't know what you're ordering from Apple uh, iPhone and things like that. So we do have these kinds of checks and balances. I think it's getting better because mm-hmm. people are more conscious now. As you say, uh, you know, you're suddenly shocked that uh, it is saying, oh, you're going to like this because you did that. That's a recommender system. I mean, Netflix does it to you all the time. Sometimes it's useful to you because you may not know that movie and it may be a fun movie to watch. Then you may mm-hmm. thank it. But the question whether somebody else should be there to kind of uh, uh, make a guess about you based on what you have given, that's what prediction systems do. You know, if if all prediction systems from statistics, you have the output as a function of a lot of inputs, and then you find a relationship, and then you give the new inputs, it will tell you what the output is. So uh, AI deep learning is basically a hierarchical nonlinear regression model. Mm-hmm. So it can capture the information uh, that it has been given and try to make predictions. It may be right sometimes. It may not always be right. I think it cannot make strict behavior. I mean, very accurate behavior. It, these are all guesses. Let me ask you. Suppose it makes a wrong prediction. You're going to just you know shrug your shoulders and say, hey, "This is a stupid <laughs> machine," and walk away. But in in real situations, like you are dealing with your 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 people, it's real. So I always tell them that trust is very important. So if you trust the AI you are working with, then you know it's not going to do any harm. But if you're not sure of it, then you should be careful what you tell. Yeah, that that uh, it's just it, we have to be savvy now. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, 
Go ahead. Yeah, and, and then something that we consistently talk about is essentially echo chambers online, where you have AI kind of like feeding you information that you're most likely or you're prone to sort of look at or, you know, search through. So, you know, uh, we had Chris Boutte on from the Rewired Soul podcast, and he essentially yeah. spoke about going on YouTube and looking at uh, kind of like counter videos, like right wing sort of whatever. I would mm -hmm. call it propaganda, but let's say right wig pundits and, you know, kind of podcast or whatever. And as he's going through YouTube and he's looking through all these videos, all of a sudden now he gets like Russell Brand recommendations. He gets Ben Shapiro recommendations. So all yeah. of a sudden his feed just turns into something yeah. other than what it was, which doesn't really make much sense because if we're thinking about polarization and how awful it's been, I'm wondering how it's been the case for whatever it's, you know, five, 10 years at this point, how it's been the case that essentially all we're getting fed is exactly what we're looking for, because that kind of feeds yeah. into confirmation by Yes. So what could, what could we do to combat some right. of that? But uh, Alex Leon, this is not new. Mm -hmm. You should read a book called The Founding Brothers or something like that. William Sapphire wrote decades ago. He was covering the period of John Adams uh, and Thomas Jefferson and so on. They were providing false information about many, many competing. There have been nasty presidential campaigns before, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but they were all from the press. <laughs> Right, this is you know a few sheets of uh, you know pages and so on. It didn't have the speed. It didn't have the 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 broad uh, connectivity that we have now. Right, sure. if you put something weird on the Facebook or, you know, immediately it gets multiplied, propagated likes and this and this and that. Right. So it's a human thing. I think what I I like to say is should we blame AI? You know, tech, AI is a technology, and humans. Unfortunately, we are pretty good at taking a good technology and using it for bad purposes. Mm -hmm. So what happens here is that, you know, people have uh, certain kinds of feelings about some issues and they want to, you know, uh, keep emphasizing that. That's why we have this group of people who just watch CNN and a group of people watch MSNBC yeah. and some watch Fox and we are all in our thing. And what AI, it's not really AI, it's the fact that we have a fast network, we have a fast platform of computing things and which can, you know, imagine in the uh, example I mentioned in the earlier campaign, somehow if they can print everything just like that and throw a billion sheets of those things all across the country, misinformation mm -hmm. would have also spread uh, much faster. So mm -hmm. the other, it, it's not, uh, I, I feel like AI is getting <laughs> blamed for what humans are doing in some sense, because we are also part of it, right? In, we should we should be smart enough, educated, and see not not trust everything that is put in front of us. Do a verification, and then sometimes ask our own beliefs. We, we are we are capable of self examination. Mm -hmm. We are capable of self examination. We can also ask, gee, am I doing this right? Right. You know, or should I reset? Should I pull back? So all, all those things, if we do, then this misinformation stuff will kind of go. Uh, I think uh, I, I, you know, there are things about deep fakes, you know, that that uh, GAN gener generative adversary network generate. We are actually working on some of those problems. For example, I have, uh, you know, my colleagues develop algorithms that will say whether this is real Alex uh, Leon or these are just human avatars <laughs> talking to me. It, yeah, we, you know whether it is a face is generated by a GAN or it's a real face. There are mm -hmm. algorithms. There are a program from DARPA, uh, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, called Semantic Forensics, Semaphore, 
where we look for inconsistency between text and the accompanied image, like mm -hmm. you know, Twitter feeds and so forth. Like mm -hmm. the example we give, we have children with balloons, ice creams, and moms, and so on. The picture, the post says a violent crowd is in front of Capitol Hill and this thing. So that is not right. Some mm -hmm. of these are easily seen, but Attacks are subtle. They're getting subtle, more and more subtle, and algorithms are delaying now. So, you know, I think this is another challenge we have in the adversarial uh, attack thing, you know, how to do misinformation. But to get to your original uh, point, uh, I think we have to develop trustworthy AI systems. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's extremely important. And, mm -hmm. and how does it, what do you mean by trust? It should work anywhere, everywhere. Right. If it doesn't work wherever, everywhere, then some people are not going to like it. It should not have any bias against any group of people or any, you know, so bias and fairness in AI is very important. It should be interpretable. It should be, I should be able to understand how it reached this decision. It should be resilient, not fall apart when somebody attacks it. And it should protect our, our ethics, our privacy and all of that. If all of these are put together when we design AI systems, then I think it'll be a much better place for us to work with AI. Right, absolutely. And and in terms of facial recognition, uh, I know that it's it's way ahead of where it used to be when it was first developed. But um, I know that some of the problems, especially from reading your book, is that um, there's sort of a, a biases in, in the sense that maybe uh, maybe Native Americans or certain minorities, maybe in terms of facial recognition, there's some percentage of the time that their faces aren't accurately captured. Um, what, what's being done to sort of increase the accuracy? Because I know it's not inherent to AI. It's just yeah. that it, it just has to do with the, the technology essentially and just a matter of developing it. But Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. And it's an important question. My first summary statement is any technology that doesn't work for everybody should be looked at very carefully and we need to fix it, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't want to upfront, you know, even get there. Now, in the case of face recognition, um, we tested our own systems that we built uh, when I was at Maryland and, and so on um, mm -hmm. to see if there is any bias to skin tone, any bias to gender, okay? We tested, we, there was another technique already available, it's called MINE, Mutual Information Neural Estimation, which is useful to check uh, the features that a deep learning network generates to see, does it behave well for men and women? Mm -hmm. And we've tasa our system, it was not. It was having a clear bias, mm. you know, did very well for men compared to females. And then we also checked skin tone. We saw the same thing. So what we did, the two options, we could throw our uh, face recognition system, start fresh. Because when we started this, you know, we didn't know that this would happen. Mm -hmm. Or we can take the best performing face recognition system and try to analyze how much bias does it have to the, each one of these things. Can I retrain it? Adversarial training. Can I do some knowledge distillation methods? These are standard machine learning methods. And we have shown in our papers, you can actually reduce bias and not lose much on performance. See, there's an interesting trade-off between bias and performance. Sometimes a bias system does very well, mm -hmm. okay? And because on that population, the data it has seen. But as, as a, another thing we noticed, 
if we train using very, very large number of identities, like 3.5 million, you know, which we have recently finished in collaboration with the company, those features seem to be able to generalize well across demographies and so forth. So but I think we have to still remember while we talk about AI, the current AI is driven by data. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do properly how we get the data and curate the data and, and learn properly from it, it'll have bias. Statistics 101 says when the data is corrupted by noise, things can go wrong. So it's not surprising to us, but the point is we cannot accept bias is, is fine. No, we got to go and we have to explain to people. Sometimes when we develop algorithms, we can give a set of conditions where this algorithm should not be used mm-hmm. because you know algorithms can fail sometimes you know if the input is very noisy if i do I want to do a face detection uh, a face recognition algorithm if i don't detect a face how can i do it right mm-hmm. so we first look at hey am i detecting a face how confident am i then only i go and try to verify for access control and so forth right so we have to do all of those things but this bias thing is important um, you know, uh, one of my distinguished uh, friends at the Caltech, uh, Professor Pietro Perona, has done a lot of work on this, really understanding where this is coming from, how should be handled. But my response to people, an AI algorithm can be probed and fixed. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, most technologies, when they are first introduced, have some issues. Mm-hmm. Take 737 Max. Boeing is the best company in the world building great planes. Mm-hmm. airplanes mm-hmm. but something was not right with 737 max we had some crashes it was taken off the uh, fa you know schedules they fixed it i just flew in one two weeks ago i was not worried mm-hmm. so so technology has to be continuously uh, you know improved and so on but the bottom line any technology that doesn't work for everybody in the society immediately you got to grab it and fix it yeah. And it makes you really wonder with something like a Facebook, I wonder why hasn't that been resolved? Because I mean, from what we're the way we're talking about it is, is it doesn't seem like it's a major issue. And I still don't really understand what the actual benefits are for a company like well, Meta, Facebook, whatever you want to call it, for them, for the polarization, for just pumping out groups and uh, particular articles that are more so, most likely to be read. Like, what's the point of that? You know, the... Uh... I think they, they, their business model is to have more people stay with them. Mm-hmm. Whatever makes, but I, I mean, I'm not try, taking sides versus people and, and these social platforms. We are, as human beings, we can evaluate these things. Mm-hmm. We don't have to respond to things that agitate. We can We have control over that, right? Mm-hmm. Despite whatever our uh, political leanings are, there are certain fundamental truths in democracy, and we will accept that. Everybody has to accept that. Then this issue. So I, I, I'm not punting uh, the question. We see the the impact of these things in our democracy. Uh, I'm grateful I was born and raised in a democratic country till age 23. And I'm grateful I'm living in a democratic country and, and so till my last breath. And that's a beautiful thing, but it is challenged. But we have to take control of it. We cannot mm-hmm. blame, you know, I don't think, you know, we can blame social media and I accept that because they provide a means. As I said, 
what could not happen in 1790, whatever, that the period that William Sapphire handled in the book, because they were all spreading bad information about each other through printed media. Mm. And, you know, maybe at that time, we didn't even have Louisiana in our uh, union, I think, right? Only probably 13 new, yeah. uh, East Coast things. So it didn't spread as fast. Now it's spreading faster. But mm. the human nature for doing these sorts of things has been there forever. Mm-hmm. So if we care enough about our, our country, our democracy, then we have to be careful about what information we digest and what we are willing to uh, you know, promote and so on. So responsibility rests with us as yeah. well as with the social media platforms. And they are coming under scrutiny. I think there is this 230 thing that is constantly mentioned, right? Uh, right. Whether some action should be taken. If somebody writes nasty stuff on that, should we put the social media platforms uh, on, on uh, as responsible for it, how much it is and so forth. Again, this gets into the free speech issue. It's a complex issue. But to answer your question, uh, social media likes to have me on their platform. As I have a Facebook account, no Twitter, mm-hmm. no, no TikTok. Mm-hmm. I want to just understand what that is. So years ago, I became a member. I asked my son, can I be your friend? He said, yeah, sure. And then I asked my daughter, can I be your friend? She said, absolutely not. <laughs> and then my son said, be careful what you post on Facebook. Once in a while, you may say like or put a picture of something nice, but don't say anything other than that. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, I follow that religiously. Once somebody mentioned something about their student defending a thesis, and just as a reaction, I said, I think this was done in 1980 or something similar, because that's what we kind of do, right? If you have seen professors, my son got so upset. You, the way you, you should not have said that because that, that professor was appreciating his students' work and you kind of threw cold water. So no, no, I just said, you know, something like this has been done before so they can take a look at it and make their thing better. So mm. you see, even a simple thing like that, a kind of reaction, right? So if you're all in our own corners and want to believe what we have is the right thing to do, yeah, social media platforms are making it run faster, enabling, and so forth. But uh, we we have a choice. We we have control over it. So let's exercise that control, that judgment. So this won't be, you know, more dangerous than it has to be. Right. I agree. Uh, honestly, I mean, we've definitely discussed this on the show before, but uh, of course, those companies are going to maximize or us, or I should say, optimize for time on site, right? Th- things that are just going to uh, feed those uh, dopamine dopaminergic uh, urges keep you there on the site and this is an interest to them and their shareholders and of course of course but at the same time i agree with you the responsibility falls on us to use our critical thinking to understand that there's nuance it's not black and white if you hear just one aspect of, of a particular story or one particular perspective you shouldn't just take that immediately maybe look at what the other side is try to maybe integrate it maybe there's a third option a fourth option 10 options more and integrate all of that and then come up with some sort of an answer as opposed to just you know taking what's given to you immediately yeah Yeah. not not to be uh funny but what if we all decide entire country for three months all we will respond when social platform only if they play star spangled banner and america the beautiful Mm -hmm. suppose (laughs) Yeah. So if the moment you don't play it, I'm going to check out. Mm-hmm. Suppose if all of us, 320 million people, yeah. tell Twitter and TikTok and, and Facebook and whichever platform, those are the only things I want to listen mm-hmm. to. If you don't have it, I'm checking out. 
you know what? Their model will start playing those songs 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? So basically, we are feeding it and it's feeding us back. You know, yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, it, I also think what you're saying is that responsibility is shared, that it's on us, but it's also on these companies too. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I think they they kind of know because uh, uh, the two thirty comes all the time, mentioned, and so on. They're nervous about that, uh, mm-hmm. so I think they do have people. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I've heard that uh, in some elections in other foreign countries, they were very able to quickly go and uh, remove the false information and things like that. And we oh, wow. hear they're also doing it in US. I mean, we remove this many, that many, and so forth. Sometimes they ban people from mm-hmm. their platforms and so on. They're doing, it's kind of a balance between their revenue and, and uh, you know, who provides them the, uh, the clicks. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, try this uh, radical idea of uh, checking into Facebook only when they play these songs mm-hmm. and see what what happens. Maybe Facebook will just play them all the time. <laughs> I love that. And uh, Oh, yeah. I'm just also curious, you know, since we're on this topic, um, what kind of advances are there maybe in, in the realm of education in regards to AI? Because oh, maybe... Yeah. There could be revolutions there. Oh, you know, I agree. I'm, I'm so glad you asked this. And I, yeah. I've been an educator for 42 years, and I really like that as, as, as my contribution. Um, AI can surely help. In fact, mm-hmm. years ago, when we were at a panel, somebody asked me, what is your moonshot? I said, I want one physical teacher and 30 AI teachers in the class <laughs> so that every student can be catered to. You know, what happens in a classroom, the teacher looks at the middle the people who are extremely smart, you know, they're somewhere here and the people who are having difficulty, they're here and the teacher cannot address everybody's needs. There is actually a National Science Foundation Institute, AI Institute that primarily focuses on how AI can help education. So um, there are uh, usual things we can do. For example, you know, if you write a little prose, I mean, they, it corrects and this and that. I mean, that's, that's uh, not the thing. I'm more interested in how... AI can help uh, students with learning disabilities mm-hmm. because it will have more patience than a teacher and it can repeatedly sit with you and it doesn't, you know, take bathroom breaks and it doesn't have to cook anything. It, you know, it's there all the time and how uh, we can use AI to help uh, students uh, with learning disabilities. And there are many kinds of, I'm not an expert on that. So that is something that will be useful. In a, and we can also go beyond, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, I, I tell my students, I say, when I was a graduate student, we didn't have iPad, we didn't have Google. So every Friday afternoon, I'll take a bag of quarters and walk over to the library and take the books and Xerox and Xerox and Xerox. And, you know, because we didn't, that's the only thing we had. But now everything is available. So AI can summarize things for them, you know, what mm-hmm. to learn, where to learn, those sorts of things. Uh, help them to learn better, help them to learn uh, quicker. As you know, every generation that comes, uh, you know, it's better than the previous generation in terms of uh, some aspects of learning. So AI, uh, please take a look at that AI Institute uh, for Education, National Science Foundation. It's a fairly large grant. Uh, you know, educators and AI working together. And I have some colleagues at Hopkins who are also looking into that uh, that that uh, topic. It's, it is very useful. So those are the places where I want to focus on AI helping education, AI helping people with disabilities, you know, visual, mm-hmm. visual, right? I, when I was at Maryland, I supervised three undergraduate uh, groups, honors groups for building devices that uh, people who are low vision or vision impairment can use to navigate from building A to building B. 
or enter into a room and see who are all there and what kind of emotional status you know their faces are or indoor navigation and so on so there is an, that kind of a thing or uh, when alexa is given what is known as a deaf speech that is people who are you know uh, deaf can't also talk very well some their accent is slightly different so sure. you can help uh, them to communicate better. So AI can kind of get into these sorts of things. So I tell people, let's not worry about AI becoming a monster and, and you know, mm -hmm. taking us, taking a loss with it. Let's work about all these areas. Uh, you know, it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, one of the more important questions that we can ask is, so even though these are not deep fakes, um, how can we stop or prevent ourselves from being catfished on dating apps? Gee. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I think we have to educate our children. Mm. We have to, um, yeah, I know there was this recent unfortunate uh, incident. Um, I, I, I think warnings have to be given. You know, um, my three-year, my niece, when she was three-year-old, had her own iPad. Yeah. But, you know, but then when we have to provide controls on it and so forth, so that, you know, uh, bad things don't get into... Uh, uh, her, her device and so forth, uh, and as uh, as you know, as parents, we got to be watching our children <laughs> when they come home. They're doing homework, and it's okay to ask them, you know, what what are they reading? And of course, they don't tell you anything. My kids, mm -hmm. when they want to, how is school? Oh, everything is fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Every yeah. day, oh yeah, everything. Oh, school is okay. You know, so uh, but with uh, such a, a prolific availability of information of all kinds coming to uh, children and and even adults and so forth uh, we have to be informed we have to uh, you know help them for example before i used to get so many emails you know saying you know even today sometimes i get this email that oh somebody left 100 million dollars you know i don't know what mm -hmm. to do with it if only you give me your bank account i'm going to put 50 million into it. people still fall for it mm -hmm. People still fall for it and lose money, so you have to, you know, we have to be aware. So that's the one thing I am now realizing: we have to be, as technology gets savvy, we have to be savvier. Yeah. So, so we understand because some who, some other human will be misusing the technology. So the technology mm -hmm. by technology, when it is created, it doesn't. Oh, I'm going to do all these nasty things to these. People. No, some other human is using the technology to do nasty things. So we have to also scale our skills, and we have to be aware. Yeah. Yeah. So, Alan, the next time a supermodel hits me up on the dating app, you're going to talk me out of it? Uh, no, I'll encourage you to have a conversation <laughs> and see what that AI says to. Talk about pol but, political divisiveness on yeah. Facebook. But um, actually... On, that, on bot, this... that bot will get bored and will not bother you again. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes. Upside. I'm seeing Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so... There, there are uh, certain figures uh, in in society. Uh, like, for example, take a like a Elon Musk or a, or a Sam Harris, who have had sort of a really uh, pessimistic view of AI. And if I remember correctly, and I really do not remember this well because I used to be a little more well versed in this before, but yeah. I believe they have something with a, a problem with uh, what kind of information is being fed to developing AIs. And we're not necessarily teaching it to be good. And where's the regulation and that sort of thing. But then there are other figures uh, like uh, uh, I, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Hopefully, maybe you are. Uh, there's a Dr. Ben Gertzfeld. Uh, I believe he he serves. Uh, he works at uh, or he's the CEO at uh, Hanson Robotics. Um, 
mainly based in in China. He has such a beautiful, optimistic view of where we're going to be with uh, AI in the future and the and the things that uh, we're going to be able to accomplish and, and futurists like Jason Silva. And I, I honestly, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I may be biased, but I do feel like, I mean, as long as we can sort of take precaution and just sort of uh, guide the AI and have certain regulation in place, we can have a, a beautiful, optimistic uh, version yeah. of the future. But yeah. uh, what are those uh, fears that like uh, those other figures uh, yeah. have? A, yeah. Yeah. I think the reality is somewhere in between. It's not, uh, I, I always say, don't be afraid of AI. See how you can use it for, for making your life better. Um, I think, um, you know, there, there, there are more things like this uh, coming up now. I, I have seen uh, that uh, the former Secretary of State, uh, Henry Kissinger, gave a talk at a meeting in National Cathedral, Man Machine Guard, that AI is, could be more dangerous than nuclear weapons and things like that. And Elon Musk has made uh, statements about AI's potential power to uh, be bad. And Stephen Hawking, uh, you know, Nobel laureate, a well-renowned uh, physicist, a brilliant mind, has said similar things. Um, I, I think uh, I my, when people ask, okay, your question, you have a question as a title in your book, can we trust AI? So what is your answer? I say a qualified yes. Mm -hmm. It's a great technology. It'll get better. Uh, and then, you know, we can, uh, but we have to watch it. Like we mm -hmm. watch all technologies. And the thing I like to say, AI does not lie. If it is biased, it will tell you, I, mm. I'm sorry, I'm biased. <laughs> we can fix it. But mm. humans, uh, it's very hard to figure out. If it's, mm -hmm. Even though if they're biased, they're not going to tell you. So I, I, like to, I always say an AI bias, I can probe, I can quantify, I can mitigate. And I'm not sure if, if, uh, if a human has a bias, the person may not even know. The person mm -hmm. has a bias right. and how to, you know, you know, how to tell them. I mean, when children are born, they don't have any bias. I don't think we're pre-wired to be biased about anything, but they learn something from their surroundings mm -hmm. and so forth. And they go one way or other. And some people are, you know, most people are, are, are fine. So I don't worry about this, uh, you know, things that it could uh, go rogue. Actually, the, the CEO of FTX, I think you mentioned, uh, right? I heard in the news that they have invested a lot of money on companies just to make sure AI won't become bad. I mean, I was I saw some $530 million over the years and all the, some of those companies are worried because of bankruptcy, maybe they may have to give the money back or something like that. I, I my personally ask me, I say, my God, maybe we could have used that money to build newer schools right. <laughs> and buy computers for more people or uh, build community centers and promote uh, peace and, you know, and, and everything. So that, that would have been my choice. But, yeah. you know, when somebody has lots of money, you know, we don't know how they think. I, I wish I had $140 billion mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'll find out how I'm going to uh, react to things and so on. But mm. remember what I said before, the current AI that is based on data is not going to give totally weird things outside what that data already has. Mm -hmm. It just That's... cannot, by definition, by the way we teach it, but it cannot. Well, Unless there is a no form of AI that comes that can just transcend everything it has been told and think weird stuff, humans are capable of doing. That's how human invention comes. 
human creativity is need not constrained by what we have been told in the classroom. Wow. Right? Otherwise, you know, what we would still be uh, doing Model T. Yep. Even for Model T, we had to jump from horse carriage to Model T. Mm-hmm. It's not like we put additional horse or we put four wheels on a horse carriage. No. For Model T, we just went the other way. Right? We went to steam. So that kind of jump we can do. And it's a clear indication that we were not constrained by what we have been taught, what we have been, you know, how we have been trained. Right now, the data-driven AI, it will stay within the realm of data that it has been given, it has learned. So it's a basically, the deep learning is a nonlinear regression model, hierarchical nonlinear regression model. It can do some new predictions, but it cannot go out and do crazy things. So. So I don't worry about this. You know, everybody is entitled to their views about the technology. And we have been wrong before. Like when steam engine first came, everybody said cows will stop giving milk. Please check it out. <laughs> it is there. <laughs> wow. yeah. And cows are still giving milk. So, wow. yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think to me, uh, the question like this and so on are something that we should keep in mind because we are humans. We are capable of thinking you know right so yep. we should think about it but i know i say don't be scared of ai work with ai if you work with ai it will get better yeah for sure and actually taking things like for example uh, moore's law into account i mean this may be an interesting question to ask but let's let's see where this goes uh where do you think realistically maybe i don't know let's say in maybe a span of perhaps maybe five years maybe 10 years uh, where we might be with AI, uh, taking yeah. into account how, how we just keep advancing so so quickly yeah. with the technology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think what we are all realizing, at least in computer vision, we cannot simply annotate our life mm-hmm. because, you know, label data, right? That's what we need to train these deep learning networks yeah. because take traffic cameras, the thousands of them, we work mm-hmm. with them for figuring out how many cars are waiting at an intersection, how many are taking this turn, that turn, is there an anomaly, some car is stranded in the side of the road and so on. These cameras work when the sun is there and they produce tons of data. So I can't go and annotate every one of them. I get a little bit of data and I hope it all works there. So where AI is going now is so what we call a self-supervised learning. Hmm. Can we learn from data, large amount of data, without getting that uh, information, the mapping information? This is Rama and and, and this is his face. Without Hmm. that, I just give a lot of faces and faces and faces, and then somehow it learns what a face should be. There's actually a very classical method, which is unsupervised method, known as principal component analysis, Hmm. uh, which has been there from 1932. And one of my friends, a distinguished scientist at MIT, made it a workable system in the early 90s, eigenfaces and so on. It it doesn't require labels. Hmm. Once it understands what a face representation is, you can give your face, uh, Alex, and then some other, you know, face taken at some other time, it will, you know, produce uh, features and then it will match and so forth, you know, so it will be doing. So self-supervised learning. I don't know if my example is is right. Let me try it anyway, and you tell me what you think of it. Sure. Outside uh, my building in a Clark Hall at the Hopkins uh, campus, Homewood campus, a gentleman comes with his uh, dog. He sits on the chair uh, in, the, in the bench. He'll throw a ball. You know, the dog, before it wants to uh, 
fetch the ball, it kind of takes a side look and see if he's really throwing. Mm-hmm. It has learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he just does that and doesn't right. throw maybe. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And then I asked him, why is it it's only at the distance of 17 feet, 18 feet, 19? Why doesn't just go all the way to 50 feet? So I, I said, I want to do an experiment where I want you to throw so that the ball is at five feet. And I want to know how many trials does it take for the dog to figure out it doesn't have to go to 17 feet. He says, oh, no, no. Anytime I stand up, he'll go 35 feet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do I do I have now a robot that can do these things? I don't know. Maybe, but I have to look at it. You know, it's not an interesting uh, thing commercially. But this made me think. So there are, you know, these things, uh, you know, our, our good old friend, uh, a dog can kind of figure out our pattern and, and so forth. And no, nobody really, you know, sometimes we teach them, but it's, it's not clear how they're right. processing this data and came to the conclusion the person stands up, then it's, it's going to be much farther. They figured out, right? So it's, it's a form of self-supervised learning because there's no time to annotate. That you know, yeah. if this man stands up, it's 35 feet. If he sits, it's 17 feet, and so on. Anyway, yeah, I mean, this example uh, I, I kind of like to give as an example of self-supervised learning. But data is coming like a deluge, and we don't have time to annotate all of them. So we can train using some annotated data, and then we have to let loose. So that's yeah. where it's going to be effective. Sometimes, you know, so the question here is how much annotation you have and how much the big one is. You know, it could be 10, 90, 20, 80, whatever. It, it can happen. But uh, self-supervised learning is the one that is uh, going to be useful. In medicine, uh, we don't have a lot of data. Mm-hmm. The data collection is becoming, for some specific diseases, is difficult. So how to learn from small data. Mm-hmm. So the title of the talk I recently gave is, you know, how to learn on your own and with less data. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with, as you put more domain expertise, maybe we can rely less and less on data and so forth. And then that, and also the other thing that is happening is synthetic data. It's, mm-hmm. it's purely artificial data. I can just generate faces, you know, using computer models. Can I use them to train my system? There's no privacy issue because I'm not taking, you know, Alex's face or uh, uh, Leon's face. And I'm, I'm just, you know, taking a synthetic face. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Uh, how to use synthetic data as a data augmentation to teach uh, AI system and so forth. So these are, uh, I think, the things that uh, will happen. I think more and more deployable systems with AI, we can see across the sectors, you know, health, FDA has already approved close to 120, uh, you know, things depending on AI for various uh, situations. Uh, smart transportation, um, you know, and, uh, and so on. So it, it's going to, uh, and you know, even reducing the impact of misinformation is one thing, uh, and and so forth. So I think uh, uh, it's a, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good. Uh, yeah. AI, yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. I don't worry about the uh, uh, fact that it's going to become bizarre. Yeah, yeah. So I'm also uh, curious uh, if we'll ever have it in our in our bodies, in, in the sense that maybe. Uh, you know, not just like nano machines, let's say in our bodies, like monitoring our health. And uh, I don't know, this might be too sci-fi, maybe too much, uh, you know, but it, it would be interesting. Um, maybe, I don't know if there was some sort of a system that uh, maybe told you things about uh, your body made certain recommendations. Uh, even in fact, when maybe if you uh, we're given a certain piece of information it can either fact check it or or maybe advise no uh wait uh 
maybe check out this other by artist. the way man just fyi now you're getting into elizabeth holmes territory because that's what she wanted to do she wanted to have like this chip that people carried with them and essentially it like diagnosed them it gave them health the recommendations what is that the therapist the yeah. yeah yeah but it, it was a little bit different but, blood so but this is a different i don't even know if she patented but this was a different technology where it was sure. literally like uh not it wasn't velcro it was like some sort of pad that you placed on your arm and this pad essentially carried all of your data and it gave you early diagnostics that's you know yeah purport, yeah. Pur purportedly right and so the idea was it would inject different medications into you when you needed them right so this is i mean at this point at least stuff of complete sci-fi yeah, yeah i i, I think uh, type 2 diabetes uh people have a, an insulin pump right right i think even type 1 diabetes probably need that and it can measure your a1c and kind of suggest um yeah, I think some of those, those, those have to be very well understood mm -hmm. uh, problems. You know, AI works well now when the mapping between data and the label is unambiguous. Mm. The moment there are some ambiguities in this, then it, it requires more you know, knowledge and common sense. So that is where it may make a mistake. So if there is a very well understood thing, if A1C is greater than this, then maybe we need to pump uh, you know this much of insulin into the body. Uh, I think the people uh, already have it. Uh, I've heard that the insulin pumps operate that way. Mm. Uh, or sometimes it may just, you know, constantly uh, give a small dose or something like that. I have to check on that. So, yeah, I mean, those things are possible. I think Apple Watch gives you a few things like right. that and the Fitbit and so on. I don't know how much of uh, AI is in those things, but we can expect to see more and more. For example, for senior citizens, fall prevention alerts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that are useful. And you can do it by looking at their gait, their posture, walking pose and all that stuff. So those things are all possible but remember all of these have to be cleared by fda <clears throat> right if you do anything to the person you can't just put a little chip inside <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah you know and and mm -hmm. and i <clears throat> excuse me the students cannot expect to have a chip in their head so they don't have to study and go mm -hmm. and get all the a's in the exams no that's not happening right right so I think uh, selective things uh, will happen like that. And again, this will be a way to improve. But what I feel is that years ago when I had a high school kid, I told one of the kids to use deep learning to figure out the calories based mm -hmm. on the food they have. So he went and took pictures of all these McDonald's things, French fries, Coke, and various Big Macs, take a picture and he will automatically determine this is a large fry, this is a large Coke, this is a Big Mac. And then there's calorie information available. It's always about, I don't know, whatever number of calories. So, you know, that can be fed actually to the, the computer algorithm, you know, that we might have in our, uh, you know, iPad or in our cell phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it can tell you, you know, maybe what you had a little too much for lunch, maybe you should eat a salad <laughs> mm -hmm. for dinner. Yeah. Those kinds of things are actually possible, especially will be helpful for uh, diabetes people because they are the ones who have to really monitor the blood sugar and the diet. Right. Right. Yeah. So these are helpful things that can happen. It all depends on what the market is. You know, drug companies will produce a product only if there's a large enough market right. for it. But as a research problem, as a experimental thing, all of these are possible and they will continue to happen in, uh, in, in the health side, medicine side. And, you know, big hospitals now have specific units devoted to AI, I think. Uh, uh, play, you know, so there are they are seeing the importance of this and so forth. And at yeah. Hopkins, we have a platform known as PMAP, Precision Medicine Analytic Platform, which can keep all the data safely, mm -hmm. and then you then you can run the machine AI algorithms on that to figure out what the 
issue is and so forth. Personalized medicine, that, yeah. that is possible now. I love that. So yeah, and let's end it off on such a hopeful note. Uh, so Alan, final questions for Rama before we head out? Oh, uh, yes. If we wanted to follow you, follow your work, and, and of course, buy the book, uh, where can we do that? Well, uh, I am not on, uh, I'm on Facebook, but not on Twitter or uh, TikTok. Uh, I have a lab at Hopkins. It's called AIM at dot jhu.edu, A-I-E-M, A-I for engineering and medicine. I'm interested in more both engineering and medicine. And you see my website and usually professors' websites, uh, you know, have you know, the papers and the students and who are in the lab. But I have already uploaded one link for a podcast I had before. And mm -hmm. when your thing becomes a link, I will put it up there. For, so if people visit my website, they can listen to all your wonderful questions. And uh, I hopefully I answered some of them well. Yeah, <laughs> and course, so they can yeah. see that. So uh, I think they will they will learn again. I actually, uh, somebody, uh, my, my friend, uh, Professor Pietro Perona, uh, this morning sent me an email after listening to my podcast on Coleman Hughes uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. And he said, Rama, I, I heard you. I was pleasantly surprised. But these are some things, you know, uh, that, that uh, is happening in the case of bias and face recognition. I said, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, he, he and I agree that we are saying AI bias can be measured and mitigated. Very and interesting. People, people should know that. not So then they won't be afraid. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also, just before we wrap up, guys, if you want to purchase the book, you can use code HAI30 for 30% off of, obviously, the book called Can We Trust AI when you order from Hopkins Press. And so to order, you can visit press.jau.edu slash books and enter HAI30 at checkout. So I'll Rama- include a, a link to that yeah. also in the description. Yeah, we'll have a we'll have a link up. Rama, again, thank you so much. This was such an excellent episode. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Leon, Alex. I really enjoyed it. Uh talking to you gentlemen and uh, uh, you know have a great day and thanks for having me on the show i really want to push this idea of uh, telling the social platform that people listen to you only you played some of these songs we like and see yeah. how much time it <laughs> how much time it takes for yeah. them to kind of go back and then everybody will say oh my god yeah and i love that, that i hope so <laughs> i love that thank you so much yeah, talk to you soon take day. care absolutely yeah. by the way i didn't even know what time it was mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, okay, we're ending. All right. Yeah. All right. So again, uh, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, where it's Seize underscore podcast. Like, subscribe. Hit, hit the, the bell, bell on, on YouTube. YouTube. And thank you again so much for watching. Happy to be back. And see you all next time.